This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. There was a lot of talk this past week about COVID-19 vaccines. Headlined by the good news in the UK, where the Pfizer and BioNTech shot was approved for emergency use starting this coming week. Here in Canada, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has been managing expectations about when COVID-19 vaccines will be available for use in this country. Some experts believe the agreements, which were not firmed up until August, may put Canada at the back of the line. There was some good news last weekend, though, when the chair of Moderna, which has one of the most promising vaccine candidates, said Canada is not at the back of the line. So where are we in the worldwide lineup? Libby was joined on Monday by Dr. Eleanor Fish, professor in the University of Toronto's immunology department, and Mark Lavonin, senior fellow at the University of Toronto's Institute of Health Policy, Management and Evaluation, as well as the co-chair of Canada's COVID-19 vaccine task force. I think uh, the vaccine task force was formed to provide advice to the government of Canada on how to secure safe and efficacious vaccines for Canadians as soon as possible. And we've been working on that since June. And it was a direct result of our advice to the government that they have gone ahead and procured the seven vaccine candidates that they've done uh, to date. And uh, I think we should start off with the the terrific news that uh, these candidates are progressing very quickly. You mentioned the uh, messenger RNA vaccines for both uh, Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, They have come on stream very quickly with great uh, efficacy results and safety so far. They are not yet licensed, so that remains to be seen. But I think uh, we should be acknowledging that and the fact that we will get vaccines faster than anybody would have imagined even five, six months ago, I think is quite an achievement. Okay. Uh, Dr. Fish, do you concur? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm on the therapeutics task force um, that was formed to assist and recommend to the government of Canada. And I think what your audience should appreciate is that um, certainly on the vaccine task force, and I hope the therapeutics as well, there are individuals there who can uh, evaluate, look at the science, look at the technology, and consider uh, what would be best for the Canadian population. So I know there's been a lot of discussion in the last little while about why don't we have the biomanufacturing capacity to make these uh, RNA vaccines. And, uh, you know, you sh- the audience should be aware that um, in parallel, there are uh, discussions and funds that have gone to actually build that capability. And it's not a simple task because to retool or to build a completely new facility, which is probably what we're moving ahead with, requires building the facility, validating it, making sure that everything is in place to produce uh, doses. And um, that's going on in parallel. So the strategy to move ahead and procure those vaccines that we 
felt were the likely to be the front runners. And this is seven vaccines that uh, Canada has got uh, agreements, contracts for, um, was absolutely the best strategy. Mark Livonen, how is it that we're behind Australia? So uh, a few aspects to that. So first of all, I think we are in good shape for getting our vaccines, as has been publicly announced. Um, We expect to receive 6 million doses uh, in the first quarter. So that's beginning from January through to March. There will also be vaccines delivered, if all goes well, in the second quarter, the third quarter, the fourth quarter. They will continue to come. And let's, let's step back for a minute, though. None of these vaccines have actually been licensed yet. So assuming they will be licensed, um, the steps will be taken to deliver them and roll them out and get them into people's arms. Dr. Fish, how many people or what percentage have to be vaccinated for us to get herd immunity? That's, again, a very good question, and uh, it's not altogether clear. Um, what we do know, we don't even know how many people realistically in Canada have been infected because you've heard about these asymptomatic infected individuals. We know that for those who've been infected, there appears to be a short term of protection. So again, I, I, I hesitate to say whether it's 60%, whether it's 70%. Um, the key here is that there will be a vaccine available and one can only urge the population as it becomes available to individuals to take the vaccine. This is our best mechanism to shut down this pandemic once and for all. So, uh, you know, to, to guesstimate what might be, what would be the appropriate uh, numbers for herd immunity, I think, you know, is really a guesstimate at this point. Um, and I, again, just as many people as, sh- as can should take the vaccine um, and that will be the most effective way. Dr. Eleanor Fish, professor in the University of Toronto's Immunology Department, and Mark Lavonin, senior fellow at the University of Toronto's Institute of Health Policy Management and Evaluation, as well as co-chair of Canada's COVID-19 Vaccine Task Force. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. There is every indication, including from the head of Ontario's COVID-19 vaccine task force, retired General Rick Hillier, that the elderly and residents of long-term care will receive the first shots when they're available in this province. But what about improving long-term care in Ontario so it's not the least attractive option for the elderly even after the pandemic is over? Libby spoke about these issues on Monday with our Zoomer squad, CARP's Interim Chief Policy Officer Bill Van Gorder, Peter Mugrich, Senior Editor at Zoomer Magazine, and David Kravitz, VP at Zoomer Media and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging. I don't see any evidence of a solid announcement, a clear plan that balances long-term, and I I don't mean that as a pun on long-term care, but longer-term solutions with short-term actions that are consistent and coherent and understandable. And we've talked about this on this program about, you know, you can visit, you can't visit, two people, three people, wear a mask, get tested, don't get tested. They've been all over the map. And I think whereas it's reasonable to say that if we're going to rebuild the facilities, the buildings, it's not unreasonable to say that's going to take years. So they, you can't do that overnight. But I just don't see she's she's always reacting 
with excuses. She's not taking the lead and saying, here is the plan for the next eight weeks, the next eight months, the next eight years in a coherent, organized way. So you get the sense of just, you know, a cork bobbing in the ocean and once in a while it bumps into something solid and the rest of the time it's drifting. Okay, one of the things is this whole issue of vaccines. When are we getting vaccines? What's the vaccine rollout going to look like? And who gets it first? And Peter, I've done some interviews, and they talk about advisory bodies with different ideas about who should get the vaccine first. Yes, yet when I keep hearing it being reported, it's like it's a done deal. So in your view, should the older population get vaccinated first as a whole, or should it be just people in nursing homes? Uh, what, what's your take on it? Well, they, they keep talking about high priority groups. And um, I think that obviously means, um, you know, frontline workers will get it first, healthcare workers will get it first. And then, and then I guess the big scramble is how do you inoculate the whole senior population and, and how do you find them? How do you, you know, uh, create a campaign that, that reaches out to rural Canada, which has a, a much older population and, uh, and get to them? And, and so, you know, it's, it's all very well to say it, but, um, these, there are a lot of issues like, uh, transportation of the vaccines and refrigeration of, of one of the vaccines needs to be refrigerated. Um, you know, this is a huge, um, you know, tactical, uh, undertaking. And, uh, it, it seems to me everyone is saying, you know, we, we've, we've got, you know, General Hiller to do it, but, but, but what does that mean? Like, how is General Hiller going to find, uh, seniors? How is he going to roll out the plans? Uh, you know, the, the flu, the flu vaccine is, was haphazard until recently. Um, is it going to be the same way with, with COVID? There, there, there's still so many questions, Libby. And I don't think, I don't think any, um, federal or provincial government has a hold on it yet. Bill, are, are you working on any kind of advocacy when it comes to that? Well, yes, uh, yes, we are. The first, and, and the first thing that CARP is really concerned about is that, uh, We've looked at what's happened this year with the uh, ineffectiveness of the delivery of the flu vaccines in provinces right across the, the country. And we're wondering how governments with decades of experience uh, delivering flu vaccines have messed it up so badly this year. How can we be confident that they're going to be able to handle the COVID mm-hmm. vaccine uh, properly and it's got to get out to as many people as quickly as as possible everyone seems to agree that frontline uh, workers are uh, first uh, but what about the rest and what are we doing in terms of the the way this is being uh, uh, handled in some provinces we now have uh, pharmacists able to deliver vaccines that isn't true in all provinces across the country. Uh, how is that going to be handled? Is the training in place now to make that uh, uh, possible, the certification that's uh, necessary? There are a tremendous number of uh, questions and uh, and no answers. They, they really don't seem to know. And once again, it seems uncoordinated across the country.
CARP's interim chief policy officer, Bill Van Gorder, Peter Mugridge, senior editor at Zoomer Magazine, and David Kravitz, VP at Zoomer Media and chief marketing officer at CARP, A New Vision of Aging. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, federal spending continues to support Canadians through the second wave of COVID-19. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. This past Monday, Finance Minister Christian Freeland unveiled the fall economic statement, which includes another $25 billion in spending to help Canadians weather the pandemic, individuals and business owners alike. The new spending includes an increase to the Canada Child Benefit and a billion-dollar safe long-term care fund, which some advocates, like CARP, say does not have enough strings attached, while others, like the Quebec Premier, complain it has too many. Federal Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole slammed the economic statement because it does not detail Canada's plan for vaccine delivery. Meantime, on Fight Back, we broke the news that the country will receive 6 million COVID-19 vaccine doses in the first quarter of next year. Information that came via the co-chair of Canada's COVID-19 vaccine task force. On Tuesday, our strategy panelists offered their thoughts on the fall economic statement. Libby was joined by Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group in Toronto, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, and John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. Generally speaking, you know, Libby, whenever the government gives you money, people are going to be happy. Um, and, and I think this, this government has continued with that trend. Uh, and this economic statement is really no different from, from any of the ones that, that, that have had sort of previously. But Obviously, I think, um, given the fact that we're in a, a significant second wave uh, and that jobs and, and people's anxiety regarding you know, their futures, I think, still lingers in, in the air, I think it, it certainly is justifiable to, uh, to spend the money. And then there are certain things within the, the economic statement that are, that are promising with respect to the child benefit increase. Obviously, that's going to help a lot, of, a lot of folks, especially um, those who are who are burdened with respect to having to look after that and, and not being able to find to find work or or what have you, so that's a huge benefit. I think that you know the issue with with uh, the spending and the stimulus is still yet to be seen. A lot of it um, was was preloaded. I think whether or not you know there's a specific plan on that is yet to be seen. I think a lot of of the issues that he was dealing with uh, and a lot of the the, the spending um, are numbers that he's thrown out, but yet there's no plan on what's going to happen next. And I think one of the key reasons that there's some uh, financial, you know, advisors who are looking at this or financial experts are looking at this saying, you know, there's still, you know, there's nothing to deal with the recovery part of it. I think there's no plan for that. And, and again, you know, it's hard to sort of say, look at a recovery when you're in the middle of a, of a second wave, but that is something that the government needs to be able to focus on. And I think one of the key issues that, that you know, you were mentioning as well 
is that the provincial federal jurisdictions, especially with regard to the money that they're spending on long-term care facilities and how it's enveloped or, or at least targeted, I think is causing some consternation. Obviously, the, the Quebec Premier displayed, <laughs> displayed that in his news release this morning. But So I think there's still some stuff that, that needs to be uh, worked out and, and, and focused on over the next little bit. But I think that you know the fact that it's, they're spending a lot of money is not a surprise to, uh, to many Canadians. Karen, uh, from the point of your point of view, uh, in, as a small business person, uh, did you get any kind of uh, relief, or um, are you satisfied that they're doing what needs to be done? Yes, we, so we did get relief from uh, we had Qs, which is the wage subsidy. Uh, so we've had that since the program was announced, and we continue to receive it because um, our revenues have fallen. Uh, to the point where we, you know, we wouldn't be able to keep our staff. So we have benefited from queues, no question. Uh, there's very little um, other programs that we could benefit from because we don't pay rent, and uh, we're a charity, so we don't pay taxes. So we, you know, but again, you know, we're looking to the future to say, okay, well, this is great. Um, you helped us get through this so far. Um, even though the vaccine is being announced. It's not really clear, you know, until we have a real clear sense of how that vaccine is going to be distributed, none of us really in the small business capacity know when we can expect to resume um, something like normal operations. And so there's still quite a bit of uncertainty out there. For me as a small, you know, running Variety Village, there's quite a bit of uncertainty what the next year looks like. Charles, uh, your take is the criticism that there isn't enough of a detailed vaccine plan. Is that fair? Um, I'm not sure fairness enters into it. I think it's more the reality of the situation with regards to the number of vaccines that may or may not be available to us over the coming months, uh, the relative degrees of effectiveness. You know, how many vaccines will be delivered in the province of Manitoba by April 1st? How many will be delivered in Oklahoma or Okinawa? No one can say with any degree of certainty because it's in the nature of the business. This is an accelerated process. We've got a lot of terrific people working on this, trying to work in close collaboration. And the extent to which, you know, we can continue that made in Canada solution where everyone was working together, the better it is for all. Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group in Toronto, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village, and John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner Fleischman, Hillard High Road, Fight Back's Tuesday Strategy Panel. This is Zuma Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Turning now to your health and medical cannabis. The lockdown undoubtedly has many people turning to marijuana for recreational use, but it can be extremely effective for conditions such as arthritis and chronic pain. Dr. Arash Tagvi is the manager of clinical affairs with Apollo Cannabis Clinics. He joined Libby on Thursday. We're in a time that I would call unprecedented. Oh, yeah, you and a lot of other people. Yeah, there's a lot going on now that we have never had to deal with in the past. And it's undoubtedly, like you mentioned, affecting a lot of medical conditions, right? a lot of mental health involvement. And obviously, people are looking for some form of relief or some answers to the, to the conditions that they are faced with. And so what would you say the, the top three uses at your clinic for medical cannabis are? Well, first and foremost, one that you mentioned, chronic pain. I'll, I'll address that one first. Kind of an umbrella term. We know chronic pain can be caused by several different conditions, 
But obviously, that's one of the main places where we see patients come into our clinic, addressing chronic pain and giving patients an alternative treatment option, as opposed to the, you know, the, the traditional treatments that are in place, gives us you know, a lot of success with the patients that we see for chronic pain. Second to that, I'd probably say um, insomnia, <laughs> sleep, that's a big one for us. A lot of patients will tell us, well, they were, well, they, after, before they came to Apollo, they were uh, having unsuccessful trials with separate medications or different medications and are now sleeping better than ever. Of course, when someone sleeps well, they have a good day after that. So it's leading to an overall increase in quality of life for a lot of patients who are attaining it for sleep purposes. And probably the third one I'd say is mental health, right? And again, the epidemiology is in. We understand that a large percentage of Canadians are affected by the ongoing pandemic. And medical cannabis gives them um, an option to address these problems. You don't have to get high, right? No, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. In fact, a lot of times if a patient does claim that they have any forms of euphoria with their use of their prescription, we consider that a side effect, right? That's a, that's a missing dosage. We would have to go to an alternative form or reduce the medication that they're on to make sure that they're not feeling those effects. There's also uh, a lot of people, they don't want to be smoking the stuff. So uh, is it oil or what are the most common forms of cannabis that you prescribe? Well, the most successful form of medical cannabis is the ingested form, the systemic form, right? So we would have capsules or oils would be the primary discussion that a patient would have with their doctor during their consultation. We don't recommend anybody smoke anything in our clinic, right? That's not really a, a good medical practice. So we ensure that patients who are attaining benefit from the inhaled forms are doing it the correct method, which would be, you know, discussing with them Health Canada approved vaporizers and other devices that patients can find benefit from. But of course, nobody is taken that way unless there's a reason for that. And that would be something that the, uh, the doctor would consult with their patients. How important is it to have the right strain for the right condition? Very important. Like any other medication, cannabis has multiple strains that are available for for patients once they've attained a prescription. So like all other medications, we have to start somewhere, but we always tell our patients where we start is may not, will not necessarily be where we end. So trial and error is, is required for a small amount of time, like any other medication, but once we find the right strain, we find a, a tremendous level of success with those people. And what are some of the different strains or the, uh, of cannabis, of medical cannabis? Well, off the top of my head, what I would talk more about than the specific strains are the forms of CBD and THC. Right now, there's a lot of people out there that know those terms now. They're, they're popular, right? They're, they're spoken about. But if we would look into certain strains that were potentially balanced for sleep assistance with the right amount of CBD and THC, or if we look for uh, a, a pure CBD strain for addressing pain in the daytime, that's kind of the approach that the, the, the direction we would take for looking for strains for, for set conditions with patients. Dr. Arash Tagvi, Manager of Clinical Affairs with Apollo Cannabis Clinics. For more information, go online to apollocannabis.ca or call 416 840 I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 
Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the past week. Brian in Mimico phoned about using cannabis for good health. You know, for years I've been saying that they never should have made uh, cannabis illegal in the first place. You know, now the facts are all coming out about CBD in particular. Before, it was all about smoking it to get high, and that would relieve your pain in that. But now CBD, I have a license to get, buy that, and it's great for taking care of, care of uh, you know, pain in the joints and everything that I use it for. And I think it's been an absolute crime that this has been suppressed for so long, for decades, maybe 75 years now, that people could have been using this instead of drugs from Big Pharma, much more successful in the use of CBD. And I think, like I said, that's an absolute crime that this has been suppressed for so long and held back. Helen in Toronto called about her main concern with the COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, My concern is most vaccines and medications take years to roll out, and the testing uh, phase is very long. This is coming very quickly. My fear is another thalidomide. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Pat in Toronto, who phoned about the controversy over shutting down non-essential retailers during the lockdown. We're assuming that this uh, is all being communicated properly. I'm not sure everybody believes everything that comes from the Premier. And so wouldn't the best thing be to have other people involved and understand how the decisions have been made? In other words, bring in Mayor Tory, bring in Mayor Crombie, bring in a couple of outsiders to un- outsiders with expertise to understand, because then they can say, we've looked at this, we understand why this is being done. Because otherwise, many of us are frustrated because we don't understand why some of these things are being done or other things aren't being allowed. That does it for today's Best to Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby and have your say anytime on our Fightback voicemail at 416-367-9636. 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.